0: This evening's reading is from Luke 14, beginning to read at verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went out to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, Do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I wonder what's the best meal that you've ever had? What is the best meal, the best dinner? Best breakfast, the best lunch, the best meal that you've ever had. Maybe it was a birthday party. Maybe it was at a wedding. Maybe it was at some special gathering that you had. When I was thinking about this this last week, I was talking with Anna, my wife, and we were saying together, "What's the best meal that we've ever had together?" And we thought thought back eight years ago to our honeymoon, and I'd been working for four months in the build-up to our honeymoon um, because I wanted to be. A really good honeymoon. Great holiday. And if she'd have heard me call it a holiday, she'd be really mad with me for saying that. It was a fantastic time. And I, and I worked for four months in the build-up to this honeymoon because I wanted it to be really good. And we ended up going to Venice, which, in my opinion, is the most beautiful place in the whole world. I haven't been to the whole world, but that's the best place that I've been to so far. Venice is magical. It's absolutely incredible. And we spent four nights in Venice and then four nights in a place called Lake Como, which is also in Italy. And whilst we were there, I said to Anna, you know, let's, let's try and just be, you know, quite careful with what we eat. Let's go to just some pizza places, uh, as you do in Italy, and some cafes. And let's try not to spend too much money. I was being a little bit tight because, you know, it, it cost quite a lot to go there in the first place. And I'd only worked for four months. But I said, for one night, and for one night only, we're going to go to the best restaurant in the whole of Venice. Yeah, the best restaurant. I was feeling quite confident about this, that we were going to find the best restaurant. And so I asked all the people around. I asked the locals. I asked some people at the the hotel that we were staying, what's the best restaurant that you can go to in Venice? And they all came out of this one place. I said, you've got to go to this one place. So two 23-year-olds at the time, dressed up, ready to go to this best restaurant in Venice. And we sit down at the table. The waiter comes over. Brings us the menus. As I look at the menu, my heart sinks. As I see the prices. (laughs) It was horrendous. But for the main course, we both ordered steak. And sorry if you're a vegetarian out there, but it was fillet steak. Steak is my favorite. And as the knife sank into this steak, it just went straight to the bottom. It was incredible, incredible, incredible meal. That's what we would say is our favorite meal. I'm going to do something that some of you don't like now and get you to turn to the person next to you. What's the best meal that you've ever had in your life? Just for a few moments, turn to your neighbor. Okay. Let's uh, see if I can draw you back. So. Really, the best meals, and I I would say this isn't always the case, but often the case is that our favorite meals are in the company of people that we love, aren't they? They're in the company of family members, in the company of friends, of people that we can share memories with together. And the Bible speaks about this a lot. The Bible talks about a thousand times in the whole Bible about having meals with each other, about eating together, about gathering around a table. The Bible says so much. About this stuff, 180 times the word feast is used in the Bible. 180 times the word feast alone is used in the Bible. And this is the biblical doctrine of hospitality. Hospitality. Now some of us have this gift of hospitality. Some of us don't. I myself need to work on this gift of hospitality. But some of us had this gift. A few years ago, when we lived in Cape Town, we lived with an American, um, an American lady and a, and a German guy. They were married. They'd been married for a couple of years. And they had the gift of hospitality. They would welcome two or three different lots of people every week to their home. And they'd open their home up. They'd share food together. They'd get to know people that they didn't currently know. Jesus says in Luke 14, 12 to 14, if you've got your Bibles open, open it back up to Luke 14. He says that when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the passage that we're going to be looking at this evening. There's a few things that I want to say about this passage, and that is, the first is, What is hospitality? What is hospitality all about? How does hospitality shape us as Christians? How does it shape us as Christians? What are some of the obstacles to hospitality? What stops us from being hospitable people? And then finally, what would it look like? What would Winchester, our city that we love, look like if we were to put hospitality into practice? How would it make a difference to those outside of these walls? outside of this church. And then after that, I'm going to do something a bit different and I'm going to get you to turn back to your neighbor and we're going to discuss ways that we've people have been hospitable to us and ways in which we can put this more into practice. So the first is, what is hospitality? Often, hospitality is misunderstood. Hospitality is not inviting your friends over for a meal. Okay, that's called fellowship and fellowship is a great thing and We all love doing that. Fellowship's great, to invite people over that you know and that you love and that you have common ground with, people that you can have a great conversation with. That's called fellowship. Hospitality, literally in the Bible, means to welcome the stranger. To welcome the stranger. So this is people that, in addition to your friends, you welcome, who are outside of your friendship group, people that you want to get to know that you don't currently know. Maybe these are people that are different to you. Maybe these are people that you wouldn't naturally get on with, that you have to work at it a bit, but it's not easy. The conversation doesn't always flow. That's what hospitality is all about. Hospitality is strategic. It's a political statement. It's a religious statement. It has so many nuances to it in the scriptures, and Jesus uses it very intentionally as the coming of his kingdom as a symbol of embrace, of acceptance, of forgiveness, of friendship. And when we see Jesus having meals with sinners and tax collectors, this is Jesus making a statement into his context in time to say that I'm going to go where the people are. I'm not going to be in the synagogue. I'm not going to be in the church. I'm going to go outside to where the people are at. And Jesus is often, the Pharisees don't like the fact that he has dinner at Zacchaeus' house. They don't like the fact that he has dinner with tax collectors and sinners. This is Jesus making a statement of what the kingdom of God looks like. That it's not made for religious people. That it's made for people outside. How are we welcoming in those people outside of this church? Because long are the days when people are going to come to church. For the evangelist amongst us. How are we going to welcome people outside of this building? How are we going to go to people out there? Because they're not going to come to us. Hospitality. How are we being hospitable to those outside of the church to welcome the stranger in? Today we live in cities of high levels of isolation and chronic loneliness. And Winchester is a small city, but we are still a city. How many of us feel lonely when there's so many people? I used to live in London. So many people that you don't talk to anyone. People always say this who come from up north. Oh, you went up north and people would talk to you all the time on the buses, on the trains, on the tubes. It doesn't happen in London. People sit on the tube and their newspaper's out. No one talks to anyone. Cities have high isolation and chronic Loneliness. You know, we see entertainment, we see people having meals with each other, but often this is in the company of our own friends or our own family members. And what's happened is our phones and technology and social media have actually made us connected globally, yes. You know, we can connect with someone over the other side of the world so easily, but it's actually made our world smaller. How many of us have been out to dinner? First thing we do is pull out our phone. And we're texting. I've done this many times. The phone is the first thing to come out. Why? Why aren't I interested in talking to that person who sat across from me? Why am I so interested in being connected on Instagram, on Facebook, whatever that may be? We've lost the art of true hospitality. We've lost what it means to be people that are welcoming and welcoming the stranger. With practicing hospitality, you're opening yourself up to be vulnerable. To welcome the outsider, to welcome friends, to be a host. And Jesus was the best host of them all. He's the example that we can look to. The word in Greek, hospitality, is to be a lover of strange things. It's a forced opening of yourself and it expounds your world. It opens your world up and it's countercultural today. It's something that could be incredibly beautiful because the world does not do this. We have an opportunity, guys, to to make a difference, to be different in our world by being people of hospitality. How does hospitality shape us? I just want to tell a story of how it shaped me. A few years ago, and I've shared this before. I'm sorry if you've heard this. Um, before, but I I lived in South Africa in Cape Town, and I was on this Bible study course where you study the Bible for nine months intensively, and on this course, there were many different people from all different parts of the world, all over the world, and that's a great thing because um, people are different, and it's great to have different opinions and different worldviews and different cultures, but it's also a struggle at times. I won't tell you which countries I struggle with the most, but it is a struggle, and there was this one guy on this course that really rubbed me up the wrong way, really annoyed me. There was just stuff that he did that was incredibly frustrating, and it made me so angry. And I had this mentor at the time, an American guy, who used to ask me quite tough questions, and he'd just call it out. If he saw something, he would call it out. We all need one of those sort of people in our lives, people that call out things in us that isn't right, that we need to put right. And this guy called this out, and he said, right, I want you to explain to me and to say exactly what you think about this guy. So I did, and I said what I thought. And it actually helped to be able to speak this out. But it wasn't nice. Some of this stuff was not nice stuff. I'm not proud of it. And he then said, after he prayed for me, he said, what I want you to do is I want you to take this guy out for breakfast. And I want you to get to know him. And I want you to ask his story. Understand where he's coming from. And I said, no, 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 no. There's no way I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I am not doing that can not possibly take this guy out. And he kept on at me, and he kept on at me until I did it. I took this guy out for breakfast, and it completely changed how I saw this person. I asked this person simple questions. Tell me your story. Tell me how you came to faith. Tell me what you struggle with. And he shared his life with me. And I learned to love this person because I got to know what he was really like. Would I have done that? Would I have got to know this guy if this, my mentor hadn't challenged me to do it? No, because it was inconvenient for me. It was far easier for me to go in to hang out with my friends on this course. It was a lot more difficult to seek this person out and actually truly try to get to know them. But when I did it, it changed my heart. And this is what Jesus is after. He's after a heart change in us. He wants to see our hearts change, not just our minds, but our hearts as well. And When we put this into practice, it changes our hearts. So I want to encourage you and to challenge you. Who in your life do you need to take out for that breakfast? Or for that coffee? Or for that dinner? Who do you need to say, tell me your story? It's not an easy thing to do. Not only does it bless that other person, it also blesses us. It's far better to give than it is to receive. Who do you need to do that with? Who do you need to take out? And I'd encourage you as well, put time in your diary. Look at your diary tonight and think, okay, what's my diary full of? Is it full of coffees with my friends? Or is it... Parts in there where I can actually put this into practice, that I can take people out and truly get to people that I don't currently know. That I can welcome the stranger. How does hospitality shape us? The third thing, what are some of the obstacles to hospitality? What gets in the way for us in Winchester, putting this into practice? I think the main thing is busyness. We are busy, busy people. We love to be busy. In this country, particularly, again, Winchester, we're a very affluent city. We've got lots of great things. We've got some great schools. We've got great university. We've got great things going for us. Amazing jobs. We can commute into London. What does that mean? It means that we're busy. It means that we fill our lives with so many things. How much do we actually have time or make time to spend with people? Things that truly matter. And sometimes it means us taking a step out. And saying that I'm going to stop being so busy. And I'm going to put time in my diary for this to be the case. The second thing that I think stops us is space. And we say, oh, you know, we haven't got enough space. Church is a big one for this. We say, oh, if I had a different building, if I had a bigger church, then I could do this youth group. Or I could do this. Or I could do that. Or I could have this football club or whatever. That's an excuse. Space is an excuse. Start with what you've got. Okay, maybe that's you live in a small flat, and you don't have that much space. Start with that. Invite a few people over, two or three people over, and have dinner with them. Cook a casserole, get a takeaway, whatever it looks like for you. Maybe you actually can't have people over because you've just got a room that you rent. Take someone out for a meal. If money's a problem, then take someone out for a picnic. You can get those quite cheap at Tesco. You can start with where you're at at the moment. You don't need more space. This is when I read the, the early church and how the early church grew. They started in, in homes, small homes that they gathered and they met, and they met around the table. They met with food, in fellowship, hospitality. They studied the word together. They prayed for each other. Third thing I would say that holds us back is, my house isn't tidy enough. How many of us have said that? I know that I've said that. My house isn't actually very tidy. I do have a 60-month-old girl as an excuse, but that's no excuse. Let me say, I release you from having a tidy house to invite people over to. And if someone complains, say, oh, it's all right. George said it was okay. Because really, it sounds so stupid, does it not? But not having a a tidy house stops us from having people over. Because we think, oh, it's got to look perfect. My house has got to look perfect. When we were in South Africa, we had people over all the time. And it's just a, a, a way that they do things over there. You have brides, barbecues together. And people come over and people share lives with one another. It's an incredible thing. Don't let these obstacles, busyness, space, not being tidy enough, don't let those get in the way of really practicing true hospitality. Finally, before we split up into groups, what would our city look like? What would this city of Winchester look like if we were to truly put this into practice? I was thinking about this the other day, and I was thinking we pray for revival. We pray for this city, for more people to come to faith, don't we? The be an incredible thing. If the whole city of Winchester, this is what I'm praying. I'm praying big. The whole city of Winchester came to faith. Where would we put everyone? Because this building is not big enough. All the churches in Winchester, we have a lot of churches. They're not big enough to house all the people in this city. How many thousands of people? So what would we do? we'd have to go back to meeting in homes like the early church because there wouldn't be space. Our city would be transformed if we were to put this into practice. If we were to invite people into our homes to read and study the word together, to pray together. As Jan was praying this evening, I was just reminded of how our prayers are so incredibly important when we pray for each other. And I was at a uh, New Wine leadership conference on Tuesday. Someone was speaking in the evening, and at that precise moment, Parliament meeting down the road to discuss the whole Brexit thing and the tension, obviously, around all of that. But the person stood up and said, how much are we actually praying for some of these things? Two miles down the road, this, this vote is taking place. And are we, the church, doing anything about it? Are we praying? Do you know that revivals in the, in, the, in the history of this country have started because people have prayed? Why don't we do that? Let's gather in our homes. Let's pray for this city. Let's pray for the things that we're struggling with. What would this city look like if we were to really put this into practice? Let me just say one other thing. Jesus didn't love people because he wanted them to be Christians. I find that quite interesting. Jesus didn't just love people because he wanted them to be Christians. He loved them because he loved them. Full stop. There wasn't an agenda. There wasn't, I'm being friendly or kind to this person because I want them to come to faith. He loved them just because he loved them. Do we truly love people who are different to us, that we can welcome in, that we can get to know? It's a huge, huge challenge. There's a chap in this church who, off the back of the last Alpha course that we had in the autumn term, decided that he and his wife were going to start an Alpha course in their home. And I've been so encouraged to hear that between seven to ten students every single week have been going to this person's home for an Alpha course every week and sharing a meal together. That's one of the beauties with Alpha is that you can share a meal together. And if that's something maybe that you'd want to do, then I'd encourage you to come and speak to one of us about that and we can facilitate and help you do that. And we can actually help and facilitate in any way. If this is something, if hospitality is something that you want to be better at, then come and speak to us and we'll look to see of how we can make that work for you. So now I'm going to ask us to turn back into our groups. And we're going to have a few questions to come up on the screen. Fantastic. Let's spend five minutes with our neighbor just asking those questions. Have you been shown hospitality in the past? Who could you show hospitality to this week?